Today, we are going to hear from Hannah Mishler. She is the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources Conservation Officer of the Year. She's out of Bemidji Station Number 2, and she and partner Storm are one of only six canine pairs in the state of Minnesota. Plus, Garrett Sphere on Otter Tail County Fishing. And don't forget what Jason Durham says about Fish and Paul Bunyan Country listeners. I would say that the listeners of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country are the smartest people on earth. It's a beautiful thing, and I'll never get sick of playing it. Welcome to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, the podcast, is sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Hey, we're headed down to the Otter Tail Lakes area and checking in with Garrett Spear of uh, Slab Seeker Guide Service. Garrett, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Kev. I appreciate it. Well, Garrett, uh, it, it, in our neck of the woods up here, it has been a, a pretty good fishing season. We've had pretty good walleye bites, kind of slowed down this week, but by and large, it's been pretty good. Great bass bite. Panfish have been going. Uh, it's been pretty solid across the board. How about down there in your neck of the woods? It, it's been really good, too. Um, you know, everything's kind of in their midsummer pattern now. Uh, bluegills are finally done spawning, and, uh, you know, you can find a lot of fish right now just finding that deep weed line. You know, I had a few people reach out to me via email uh, asking, you know, kind of what the pattern is and what they should do. And I said, boy, you can almost throw a dart at a map in Otter Tail Lakes uh, County up here and, you know, uh, find that deep weed edge, get just on the outside of it, maybe kind of pull your rigs into it once in a while, and you're going to find big bluegills, you're going to find crappies, you're going to find uh, bass, you're going to find walleyes, you're going to find, well, northerns are everywhere. We can't, no matter what we fish for, we can't even stay away from those. But, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Um, weed edges right now are holding everything, especially if you can find them that have uh, you know that broadleaf cabbage. There's a lot of uh, fish on them. You know, and the crappies are kind of set up almost on top of it. So if you can get, you know, find some of that deeper cabbage and get on top of that cabbage and troll or cast on top of it, they'll come right right up out of that stuff and, and hammer it. And uh, the, they're kind of set up nicely now that post. Spawn funk is kind of over, and uh, the crappie fishing has been really, really pretty good, too. Walleye fishing has been good. Um, definitely midsummer stuff. Those deep weed edges and lakes that don't have a lot of structure. We've been fishing more structured lakes. We've been doing, like, the main lake point type of thing and humps and saddles between islands and points and, you know, things like that. But uh, when they're set up on deep structure, those walleye stick out in your graph like a sore thumb. So it's been, you know, like some video game type fishing stuff. I go and I look for them on the graph. We find them, we circle back with the uh, the uh, trolling motor, and then we spot lock on top of them and, and catch them with slip bobbers and leeches is what we've been kind of doing. If we're in search mode, I've also been pulling some crawlers, you know, like some Northland butterfly blades. You can pull those really slow on a bottom bouncer with a half a night crawler. And uh, that's a good way to search in between, you know, if I'm not quickly finding a lot of fish on my electronics. And then uh, once we get autopilot, usually I'll spot lock on them with the... the uh, trolling motor and then we'll slip out fish with leeches because the leech bite seems to be really good 
uh, they'll hit that almost over everything. Has it been, uh, are you surprised at how good the bite has maintained for walleyes, uh, despite the fact we haven't had much wind, despite the fact we've had more heat than we're used to? You know, uh, you know, the wind has been a little bit of a challenge. The last couple of days here have been dead flat calm. And, uh, you know, like last week we had, we had some windy days. And so I was just crushing them. I mean, I had customers out and, uh, you know, we were just whacking walleyes. And then, uh, this week, it's been really calm, and we've had some tougher starts. We've still been getting it done, but it's been it's been taking a little more persistence than it was last week when that wind doesn't blow, and it's, it's just been like glass out here. You guys have had that too, I assume. Huh? Oh, yes. Yes, we definitely have. Absolutely. And, what, you know, what that has to do biologically is that the wind just breaks up the light penetration a little bit, and so those, uh, those fish, it's not so tough on their eyes. Uh, just the way their eyes are built when it's really dead flat calm, uh, it, it's, it's pretty tough on their, their eyes. And so that's why the weeds, you know, a lot of times the, if you're a good weed walleye fisherman, you're going to make things happen even in these real still conditions because uh, a lot of times they'll tuck themselves right up in there because it breaks up the available light as well. And, you know, one good way to do that too, and we've been doing a little of that, like a worm weight for bass fishing. And then, uh, you know, a, a snelled spinner, a Northland spinner with a half a crawler behind that versus a bottom bouncer rig. And with that worm wage, you can pull that right up in there, and uh, they don't fall up too bad. And then if you're in really heavy vegetation and the weeds are pulling your night crawlers off, we go to a gulp night crawler, and they hit those pretty good too. Uh, and those will stay on, so if you hit a weed, you can pop it off with a weed, and you don't have to worry about your night crawler falling off. With that gulp, when you have all the confidence that it's still out there, put the rod, you know, leave it out there. You don't have to reel it in. And that's another option when they're tucked right in there. That'll sometimes help you get through those those real dead flat calm kind of kind of tough days. <laughs> um, what are the bluegills and the crappies going after? You know, that's what most people call me to do until uh, the last couple of weeks I've been just bombarded with walleye calls. But um, there's still been chasing a lot of big bluegills. Those big bluegills are done spawning. Now they're post-spawn, uh, set up on those deep weed edges. I've been using the pan optics and the side imaging to kind of scan for, for big groups of them on those weed edges. So that way I can do it fast. I can go look for them. At, on the side imaging, I can look for them at, you know, two and a half miles an hour. You know, they kind of move and they're in different spots every day. If you find an inside turn on the weeds, a lot of times they'll be in there. Any, any sort of, you know, anything that's jetting in and out. But those deep weeds have been the key for that. We've been uh, vertical jigging. Uh, that's been the best, uh, you know, as a, just a split shot and like a Northland gill getter with a, a full red wiggler, a full angle worm on there, and uh, just vertical jigging. And that kind of allows you to read what the fish want every day. Bluegills can be kind of sensitive to your jigging cadence, you know, how hard you're jigging it, how soft you're jigging it. If you're vertical jigging like that, you can kind of dial them in and figure out what they want. Uh, I know I I got it bluegills uh, in in the last trip I had. What they wanted was they just wanted you to drop it on the bottom and slowly lift. And uh, if you didn't get one in a couple of seconds, you needed to back it on the bottom again and, and, and slowly lift. And I think it's because those fish were feeding on bloodworms. I had bloodworms all over my net and my boat and my live well, you know, those little segmented red worms. And uh, those bloodworms are right on the bottom, so that seemed to be the keys. You'd have to bang it a little bit and lift, bang it and lift. And then if you if you held it or jigged it a foot off the bottom, they wouldn't come up and hit it. It had to be making contact all the time. So experiment with stuff like that. Um, we did really good trolling for crappies the other day, uh, just using a uh, 32nd ounce Northland jig and a white twister tail on top of the cabbage, you know, try to keep it around a mile an hour, keep it moving because there's so much cabbage in most of these lakes up here in, in Ottertail County that 
it's hard to fan cast all of it effectively, but if you control really, if, you know, you can put miles on. And then, you know, it seemed like some of the fish would be in the same spot. So then when you hit a group of fish, you could stop and then fan cast and, you know, pick a few more of them off. Then once you figured you got them all, you could kind of go back to trolling again and, and work through. But, uh, you know, we had no problem uh, with limits of fish. One day, I think we got like six. The numbers were, you know, pretty good too. A lot of people give up on crappies post, uh, post spawn. And there is kind of a funk right when they get done spawning where they spread out all over. But, um, you know, once, once they've kind of recuperated, they, they you know, tend to get on those deep weed edges and catch them. You, of course, have, have uh, kind of made a, a career out of being uh, a panfish guy. But, like, as you noted, you're doing some, some uh, walleye stuff lately as well. Um, but, boy, that sure gives you a lot more options if you're, if you're willing to fish for a lot of different species. It sure does, yeah. You know, and uh, most people call me to catch big panfish just because the area that I'm in is kind of a special area in Minnesota and not... Well, and you guys too. Bemidji's another one, but uh, you know they're 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 big up, up here, you know. And so, uh, most people that live in you know uh, the Twin Cities and South have never seen bluegills like this. Uh, and and uh, you know our, our our crappies are usually a little better too, and uh, so they're usually pretty impressed by our panfish. Whereas you know we have some decent walleye fishing here, but I think there's far better areas to to fish walleyes in the state of Minnesota if that was your your. Uh, destination you know but uh, pretty special place for big panfish and, and bass fishing here too our lakes are fertile weed lakes and they they really set up nice for bass and panfish we've been doing a lot of bass fishing too i took my wife out and uh, was bass fishing with her just the other night we love to get together and bass fish and we kind of just uh junk fished you know it was the uh, epitome of junk fishing we had i i fished a chatterbait off the front of the boat a big z-man jackhammer she threw cinco's up and when we got sick of that, she threw a, a jig with a beaver for a while. And, uh, you know, we, we caught them on uh, almost everything except uh, two jigs and spinnerbaits are the only two rods we couldn't get a bite on. But every other rod we caught them on, you know, a jig worm was good. Uh, a wacky rig Cinco was probably the best. A jig, a bladed jig, uh, crankbaits, you know, it, it, they were all set up on the deep weeders. We just kept the trolling motor going about a half a mile an hour and, uh, if you have the person kind of power fishing in the front of the boat and the, the person doing the, something a little more finessey in the back, you'll you'll uh, capitalize on the majority of them and just just keep covering the weed edge. You know, they're not really very very concentrated like they will be. You know, in a, in a month or so, you'll once you find one, there'll be a whole bunch of bass with them. It seems like, um, but right now they're kind of kind of spread out doing their own thing in different spots on those weed edges. So I'd recommend motor moving. And, Make a lot of it's cool. You can go uh, walleye and pan fishing for your meals, uh, delicious as they will be. And then if you just want to just fight fish, then you go bass fishing. Then you want to go yeah, It's fun. I love to stick those big bass. Uh, I get a hard time. You know, a lot of my hardcore walleye and, and uh, pan fish friends are like, why do you waste time on those bass? But it's fun. I, I love it personally. It's it's in, it's in, and it's getting more and more popular all the time. Certainly, uh, college and and uh, high school teams has maybe helped that next generation of bass anglers. But I hear more people fishing bass all the time. You know, I notice that too. Whenever I have a family with kids in the boat, the kids, hands down, I always ask them. You know, if uh, you know if we're pan fishing and we get their limit or whatever, and what do you guys want to fish? And they always say we want to go bass fishing. So that's always a favorite. You know, they can throw artificial baits and you know kind of work the baits, and uh, you know they they enjoy that better than. You know, dragging live bait around. You know, they they really like how you can. And yet, you know, you can do topwater. That's that's always exciting. 
Yeah, I love it. You know, my son, too, he's six, and uh, he loves to get on a frog bite. I need to get him, you know, casting a bait caster because it's really hard to frog fish in really heavy cover with spinning gear. But uh, we did a quite a bit of it last year, him and I, and uh, it's just fun to watch one blow up and, and try to eat it, even if you don't get them out of the weeds, you know. You, you mentioned northern, and most people, you know, that that's like their last choice, but uh, they are certainly an aggressive fish, and if you can figure out how to get the Y-bones out, which YouTube can show you how to do now, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good... That's a good several meals if you get a couple of northerns. Yeah, and you know our limit up here, uh, it, you can keep 10 uh, of small pike. So if anybody is interested in pickling them or something, uh, you know, we've got real liberal limits now in Otter Trail County on pike because the DNR actually wants us to get some of these smaller pike out of the lakes and so our, our pike will grow bigger and, and not overeat the, you know, not, not having all those small ones overeating the food source. We're catching them doing everything, man. We're catching those when we're crappie fishing, when we're bass fishing, when we're bluegill fishing, when we're walleye. I mean, I, I think you can go uh, to main lake structure, weed edges on top of the weeds, and it seems like they're on patrol uh, kind of everywhere. Yeah, you don't really have to go northern fishing. You just go fishing for everything else. Right, exactly. That's what I always tell people. I think, you know, maybe since I've been doing this, I've only ever had two people call me to catch pike, and both times I kind of laughed and said that, too. I said, you know, it's rare to, you know, intentionally target them, but I, I can tell you where I've been catching all kinds of them when we're bass fishing <laughs> and doing everything else, you know. Uh, but the thing is, you know, you get a decent-sized one, go ahead and keep it, watch the YouTube video, and uh, you'll have the delicious food. You, you know, get those Y-bones out, and it's, it's as tasty as any fish, really. It, it really is. Yeah, I think you're, you hit the nail on that. I think the reason people don't like to keep them is they're, uh, you know, they don't quite understand how to get the bones out of them, or they're concerned about having a bone in their their fillets. But, but you know, as far as taste, I think they taste just as good as as anything. We got a lot more to cover with Garrett Spear later on in the show. But up next, we're going to hear from the Conservation Officer of the Year, Hannah Mishler, is next on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service. Are you looking to plan a fishing trip? Look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is your year-round destination for walleyes, pike, muskie, bass, perch, crappie, panfish, and more. With over 400 fishing lakes within a 25-mile radius of Bemidji, come take a cast at becoming a fishing legend. While you're on your fishing adventure, come take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Discover the first city on the Mississippi... Bemidji, one step further. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We are going to talk law enforcement. We have the Minnesota State Conservation Officer of the Year, Hannah Mishler, DNR Conservation Officer out of Bemidji, or as they call it, Bemidji 2. Hannah, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, did you start out in this field wanting to be a conservation officer, or were you just starting out uh, in law enforcement? What was your What was your driving force? Um, I went to college for criminal justice, so I just had an interest in law enforcement overall. Um, but I grew up um, using all of the resources outdoors, and grew up what I used to say in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I always had a love for the outdoors and a passion for that. Um, so. It kind of came about towards when I was going to graduate college and applied thinking I wouldn't get hired, but here I am. So it kind of just fell into place, and it was a great fit um, because I've always had a passion for preserving um, the natural resources for future generations because I was blessed to have it growing up. Well, certainly. I mean, you uh, you, you noted uh, to me before we started uh, recording here that you grew up in the Ely area, and I- 
is there anybody in the Ely area that doesn't love the outdoors? I don't think so. I think they get kicked out if they don't. So <laughs> so you grew up fishing, hunting, all that stuff. Yep. And, and uh, so this is kind of a natural extension of that. Yeah, it's awesome because I still, I still get to be outside every day and still enjoy that stuff even while I'm working. And I get paid. I can't believe I get paid to do this some days. Yeah. <laughs> So you uh, you started in this uh, in in uh, your CEO role in 2014. Yep, I started in April of 2014. Went through the DNR Academy at Camp Ripley, and then I first got stationed up in War Road. Spent some time up there. Spent some time in the Baudette area, and now Bemidji. Okay, and you are unique in your <laughs> role in that you are a canine conservation yes. officer. So. Um, you're one of six in the state, correct? Yep. And the, but then the first one we've ever had around here. Yep. The first, well, the first one that I know of around here anyways, in the Bemidji area. Yeah. And I'm going to, we want to get into that because I'm really curious as to how canine patrol would work in, in conservation sure. officer realm. But, but first, you are the 2020 Minnesota Conservation Officer of the Year. Congratulations on that. And explain to us uh, how you earned that. Thank you. Um, I guess I just earned it by being out there working and doing everything that a conservation officer should be doing. Um, just patrolling. I do a lot of extra work with the academy and, like you mentioned, the canine stuff um, in addition to other responsibilities and being part of um, the arson investigation team, part of the peer counselor team, and a lot of additional roles within um, the DNR and just aside from just being a conservation officer. You know... I never think about arson as being part of DNR, but I guess, you know, wildfires and forest fires, that that, that falls under the realm of arsony. Yep. Yep. Okay. Ours is specific to wildland um, fire and arson. So we don't do, we don't investigate structures primarily. It's just wildfire related. Gotcha. So, so um, the canine unit, there's six in the state. How yep. long has it been going? Um, since the nineties, I don't know the exact date. Um, and then it kind of, there was one or two dogs for a long time and then, um, kind of built off of it from there. I think our first AIS or zebra muscle dog started in 2013. Um, and then that's kind of when it started building and getting a bigger team. So, so we have dogs that can find or smell Zebra mussels? We do. My dog is one of them. Really? Yep. yep. We have a few of them throughout the state that do. Some of them do zebra mussels, and then other ones do fish. Um, and otherwise, aside from those two things, we're trained in all the same things um, as far as detection goes. So um, I was going to ask, so mm-hmm. how do you use a canine uh, dog in uh, in your realm? And, and that's that's part of it. So our dogs are trained just like any other of your if you want to say normal police dogs. <laughs> um, so you just train a dog on a scent. It's not, it doesn't have to be anything specific. So you train a dog the same way you would to detect marijuana or any other kind of drug versus detecting zebra mussels. Um, so our dogs, all of our dogs are trained on venison, turkey, ducks, bear, and then some of them do fish and some of them do zebra mussels. And then all of them also do tracking for people. And we have a couple of apprehension dogs, but my dog isn't one of those. And then we also do, all the dogs do article searches or evidence recovery. So essentially anything with human scent on it, 
Um, and then they're all trained in firearms detection as well. So it kind of goes across the board. We can use them in many different ways. It's not just for one specific thing. And your dog's name is Storm. Yep. So how do you use Storm in this? Do you just uh, pick a lake and you go on the lake and see if uh, Storm catches a scent? <laughs> um, so for zebra mussel detection, we usually spend a lot of that time at public accesses. We'll check a boat either as they come in or go out, and he'll search the boat, search the trailer, um, and alert if there are zebra mussels. And if not, he just goes on to the next one. Um, so that's how we do zebra mussel stuff. If we're looking for something in specific, maybe we talk to some people out deer hunting and we think that they have a deer maybe hidden somewhere, but they're not telling us. They say they don't have anything. Um, we just let the dog free search and hypothetically he would find a deer. Um, <laughs> same with ducks or bear or anything like that. Um, and then for article searches, that's with the human scent kind of thing. Um, so I've used him a lot for helping like Beltrami County or some of the other agencies to, if there's an item um, of evidence or of importance to a case and it's got human scent on it that somebody may have tossed out a window or dropped, um, he can search a wide open area and locate that item. So. How do people respond when Storm is smelling their boat? Actually, really well. Um, there's a few who, I know there's still a few people who don't necessarily believe in the AIS type of work or the zebra mussel stuff, and they don't like the inspections. But overall, people actually have a pretty positive response. I think dogs just make everybody happy <laughs> for the most part. So people, I don't know, people like to see him out working. People always ask um, what he does, and they're really interested in knowing how he works, just kind of like you and, yeah. So is is he trained to, like, do drugs as well, if you happen to stumble across somebody who might be carrying something? Nope, he's totally, totally unrelated okay. to that. So okay. we are just strictly game and fish trained. Okay. Um, not on narcotics at all. Um, so you started in the canine realm in 2017. What what drew you into that? Um, growing up, my parents had a commercial dog sledding business, so I've always been around dogs and love dogs and had some experience training dogs, obviously in a little bit different sense than a law enforcement realm. But um, I've always just had a huge interest in working with dogs and, again, kind of seemed like the perfect fit and perfect timing as far as when that position became available as well. So how long will Storm be active? Um, as long as he's able and in good health. Uh, he's six right now, and I would say the average working years for a police canine is usually around like eight to ten years. Um, it all kind of depends on the dog and his health. So he hasn't showed any signs of slowing down at all yet. <laughs> so I imagine being around with him for quite a while. So do dogs... Do they they lose a little bit of the edge uh, on their ability to smell like humans sometimes do as they get aged? Um, I don't know if they so much lose their smell or if it's just everything works a little slower and there's a little less drive towards the end. Or um, a lot of them, a lot of the sporting breed dogs like labs and stuff, they'll end up with some kind of like hip related issues and just not able to get around quite as well um, and that kind of stuff. But otherwise. Yeah, they can work as as long as they're willing to. So, so 
you you have Storm. Yep. Did you have Storm before you came to Bemidji? I did have Storm, yes. So So. you're kind of a package. I'm kind of a package, yes. We come as a pair. So if you get one, you get both of us. So you've got a dog, for example, that's trained in, um, uh, as you mentioned, AIS. Yep. Okay. Um, So if they need an AIS dog, you're... You're in the mix. Yes. If they need a fish smelling dog, you're not in the mix. Correct. Okay, interesting. Um, the only the only reason we do that is just because we want to know whether a dog is alerting on fish or is alerting on zebra mussels when we check a boat sure. or something along those lines. Yeah. How so. would you, you How would you know? If, right. If, about how long? What's the process for a dog getting trained to do this? How long does it take? So we went through an original detection school that was four weeks long. Um, where he learned basic commands. He was he was very fresh. Um, he didn't know how to sit down, anything like that. Um, so during those four weeks, we worked on those commands and then just the general scent detection. And then there was an additional 10 weeks of training for the other things like tracking and article searches, obedience, um, and that kind of stuff. So a total, total of a few months time spent down there and, yeah. Um, what would you say, uh, off the top of your head, is the percentage of votes that he finds AIS on? Actually, it's pretty low. Um, Good. <laughs> especially around here. I I don't think I've checked a boat around the Bemidji area that has had zebra mussels attached to it. So... Um, overall, people, I would say people are very good at, you know, checking their own equipment nowadays and making sure that they don't have anything that they're transporting on it. So very low percentage. <laughs> well, you, you told us uh, how you got into the DNR side of it, but what drove you to get into law enforcement to begin with? Um, I don't know. I'm the only person in my family, even <laughs> extended family, that has had any remote interest in law enforcement. But it just seemed seemed like a exciting job um, where you're kind of always doing something different. I knew I wanted to do something that wasn't based in an office or inside a building because I don't do super well sitting or being inside for a long time. So law enforcement just seemed like something that was more fast-paced. Um, you're still able to help people and have a little excitement, but you're not confined to just a small area or... So are you assigned different, like, say, uh, okay, we need you to check out this lake today, we want you to be at this one, or is this something that the individual officers put together their game plans of where they're going to be and when they're going to be there? We have a lot of flexibility. It's all up to the officer. Um, Obviously, if there is, like, an event going on somewhere, you're kind of expected to work that or be present there. But otherwise, it's all up to the officer on um, where you want to patrol, how you want to do it, and... Yeah, it's one of the only jobs, I think, that allows you that amount of flexibility to be able to carry out your work day. So in addition to the canine work you're doing, do, do you and Storm hop in the boat and do boat checks like any other CO would do? Yep. Yeah, Storm, um, he comes with me on the calm days. He's not a big fan of big waves <laughs> or really any waves. Um, otherwise, yeah, he'll hop in the boat with me. Um, I've had him on an ATV a couple of times out with me. Otherwise, he runs alongside sometimes. But, yeah, he's usually out there with me regardless of what I'm doing. So, so uh, although the AIS is a big part of it, it, it's not the only thing you're doing as a, as a CO. You're just doing normal. You have to do your normal standard conservation coverage of, of your area. 
Yep. Yeah. I do all the, if you want to say normal CO stuff, <laughs> um, do all of that. And then the canine stuff is just in addition to that. So, yeah. Well, we... I would call it normal stuff because <laughs> I've talked to a lot of COs, but only one of them has brought a dog in. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm assuming that um, there's probably going to be an expansion of this. Um, that's the idea anyways. We would like to expand the canine program. Um, it's just... A combination of getting funding, finding people who want to be handlers, and finding dogs. So if all of those three things can meet somewhere in the middle and find a happy place, we would, yeah, love to expand the program because six dogs across the entire state is not very many when you look at it. Seven years in the biz, what's your most exciting story? Oh, boy. (laughs) I wasn't prepared for this. (laughs) No, um, I don't know. Honestly, I think every day is pretty exciting because it's always something different. I don't know that I could pick... One specific thing. I've had a lot of fun over the last seven years. So, and I don't know if we have enough time to talk really exciting things, but maybe that can be another segment. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, uh, um, I, I've read, there's been a few guys who have retired uh, from, from the biz who have written books, and those are always entertaining to read. So I know there's, I know there's some crazy <laughs> stuff that goes on. Yeah, I think every game warden could write a book if they if they wanted to sit down and take the time to do it. It wouldn't take much to fill up some pages with stories. Well, how I mean, I know you know every year we're we're talking about new regs that go into effect, and, and I'm not opposed to them. They they are put in effect for good reasons, and they're very helpful. But how do you, you know? It's hard enough for us to keep up. How do you guys keep up with every reg on every leg? It's hard. That's um, We kind of have to pay most attention, obviously, to just the lakes in our own patrol area. Um, so a lot of the times I'll get questions about a lake that's maybe in southern Minnesota or a different kind of regulation like pheasant hunting regulations, which I don't pay a whole lot of attention to because I don't have that in my area. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you have to do. Otherwise, it's so much information that you have to try and memorize. Um, there's a lot. So <laughs> that's why the reg books are super helpful. Um, I know I think every CO carries around a reg book because it's pretty much impossible to know every single thing about every lake and every area, every activity. So. Yeah, I mean, and it's a, it's a little easier for us because we know, for example, I know, okay, on uh, Thursday I'm going to go fishing over on, I don't know, Web Lake. Mm-hmm. I can just get on the web and check out what what's going on on Web Lake, and I'm good to go. Um, but you got to know you got to know them all. Yeah, yeah, well, and that's the thing. I mean, the public expects us to know everything, and so if we don't have an answer for them in like half a second, then they wonder if we really know what we're doing or not. But um, no, it is a lot of stuff to remember. But um, our academy is very good. We go into detail about all things. And then um, it's kind of just after that, you have to take on the responsibility of learning your station and learning the lakes in it and all the regulations that come along with what you have as resources in your station. Hannah, one of the things that has changed dramatically, I've done this show a long time now, and uh, 31 years ago when I first started, I think probably every interview I did was with a guy. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm uh, this year uh, I swear uh, between DNR and you know more and more uh, women out fishing and hunting, I mean it's getting close to fifty fifty. Yeah, uh, it's changed a lot. And yeah, I think it's awesome. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, but what, even seven years ago, I mean, what was it like uh, being a woman breaking into the DNR? Uh, when I started, I think there were 
two of us that were females that went through my academy. And I think with the two of us, there were 14 female officers in the state. And now I'm not even sure what the number is. It seems like we're hiring more and more each year, which I guess it's probably a good thing. I don't know the number. That means it's getting bigger. Um, so I think in law enforcement across the board, we're seeing an increase in interest from females. And it's not so male-dominated or male-oriented or <laughs> orientated anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so it's – I don't know. I think – I think being a female in law enforcement comes with certain challenges, but it also comes with benefits. And just as an officer, you kind of have to learn what each of those areas are and how to how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think back to when I was a kid. My, my grandma loved to fish. Um, I've always known plenty of females who like to fish, but for whatever reason, then when they get to career mode, it just didn't go forward. But now, you know, I'm interviewing professional women anglers uh, in the in the promotional end of it, along with the law enforcement side. So it really has changed. Uh, and I just wonder, what took so long? I mean, I guess it's just <laughs> life in the, on planet Earth, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have an answer to that either. But it is it is nice to see more and more women, you know, taking um, the time and spending it in the outdoors versus... Yeah, whether they would be sitting in an office, working, or whatnot, you are seeing more and more outdoors and enjoying the resources as well. So. Well, Hannah, um, we're going to wrap it up here, but what a great, what a great story! The whole canine unit, no matter what level of law enforcement, I just find it an amazing thing and uh, and unbelievable. I think if you think about what you can, a dog can do, what a dog can pull off, mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy. Yeah, what would take a person, you know, maybe 10 minutes to look over a boat and actually check it decently for zebra mussels, Storm will do in about 10, 15 seconds. So um, same with any of the other kind of searching or tracking. Um, You know, if somebody somebody gets lost while they're out hunting, um, I don't know where to start, but if I have my dog, I can just get him on the scent and maybe we can find him and you know, a matter of a couple minutes. So it's pretty, pretty impressive what dogs can do. So, And to all you cat people, try getting a cat to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hannah Mishler is the uh, Conservation Officer of the Year. She's out of the Bemidji office. Uh, she is the first canine officer in this area, along with Storm, and uh, one of six in the state. Great conversation today. Hannah, thanks for taking the time. It was great. Thank you. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Checking back in with Garrett Sphere of Slab Seeker Guide Service out of the Outer Tail Lakes area. Hey, Garrett, you were involved uh, in the uh, in the Panfish Initiative, uh, and of course, a um, hundred and some lakes got some new regulations based on that. Obviously, uh, Garrett, we haven't seen you know returns on that yet, as far as uh, any change in size or population or anything like that. But but what are you hearing as far as uh, implementation goes and the uh, the anglers? Are the anglers following the rules? Are they in favor of the rules? Does there seem to be any fighting about it, or is it going well? You know, surprisingly, it's been really super positive, really positive. Uh, I've, you know, I've talked to a few anglers at these lakes, and they're like, you know, I'm really excited about, you know, people that didn't know who I was and didn't know I was on the Panfish Council, and uh, 
And I, I've just mentioned, so what do you think about the five-fish limit out here? And uh, everybody that I've said that to has been overwhelmingly positive about it. Like, this is great. You know, I've been worried about what's going to happen to some of these lakes, and people just keep taking and taking. And so it, it, it seems like it's been really overwhelming. We got checked by a DNR officer on one of those lakes the other day, and it was kind of funny. She said, can I count your fish? She said, absolutely, the limit's 20 apiece, right? And the look on her face was just priceless. Her face just, I go, like, I'm just messing with you. I'm very aware of the regulations. <laughs> But it was it was funny to get that look out of her face like that, and uh, and I said I bet you do get that a lot too. And she said I I am getting that a lot. So that is one of the things is, is some people aren't quite understanding uh, you know yet which lakes are on them. But you know there's a, a yellow sign. It's a bright yellow sign posted on public access. So just uh, if you're going to a new lake and you're not 100 percent aware, you can obviously pull it up on the DNR website too. But if you're not aware, just take a look if you see any yellow signs by the access to what it says. Right. Yes, yellow sign. But but you're right. Um, we know exactly what lake we're going to. You can just type it in on the website and see what uh, special regs might be there for whatever species, and uh, and you're good to go. There should be no reason you don't understand before you get to the lake. Exactly. You know. And then the other thing I guess that was uh, kind of confusing is uh, I was here another day and uh, I seen there was a lady sitting on the dock, and I said, you know, just as I was trying to load people into the boat and, and get myself into the boat, I said, Are you doing any good? And she said, yeah, you know, and uh, and she uh, kind of turned her bucket towards me or whatever, you know. I, I just kind of peeked in to see if there's any big ones in there. And I was like, I was just thinking, I was like, that seems like a lot, you know. And so I just I just mentioned to her, I said, you know, it's only five out here, though, just so you know. I just want to see you get in trouble. And I try not to stick my nose in, but I just wanted to be helpful if I could. And uh, and she said, oh, yeah, no, I was on a different lake down the road. She said, and I, I got like ten in there, but, you know, I, I haven't taken more than five on this lake. And so, uh, I would be a little cautious about that too. If you're if you're going to if you're going to different lakes and you've got all your fish in one bucket, I, I would separate those fish out into a cooler, right? Um, you know, and uh, that's something that you know I should talk to the the, the DNR uh, about. But you know, it, it's just you can have twenty in possession, but if you're immediately on the lake with a bucket, I think that's a pretty pretty tough story to sell. Yes, you caught the majority of them on a on a different lake, so. You know, if it was me, I think I would have probably put those in a cooler, you know, and left it in my car and, and made sure I didn't have more than five on that particular Well, and the other thing you, you have to be aware of is 20 in possession. That doesn't mean you can go to a lake that's got a 20-fish limit, catch 20, go to a lake with a five-fish limit, catch five, because that's 25 Great. in possession. You, you can only catch 15 on that other lake if you want to catch five. Uh, you know, you gotta have, you can only have 20 in your possession. Exactly. So if you go to a special regs lake, you can keep your five, and you're absolutely right. And then if you go to a lake that you know has a Minnesota state limit, you can get 15 more fish, and then then you're done. Then you're at, at 20. It's all about math, <laughs> <laughs> right? But you know, they, I I assume there would be some growing pains with this. It's a new thing that uh, uh, you know everybody's still kind of getting used to and trying to trying to kind of figure out. You know, and this this lady that I talked to in the doc, she wasn't trying to you know trying to poach whatsoever. She. Uh, uh, I knew she hadn't been there that long because, uh, you know, we we watched her pull up and everything. So yeah, I you know, but uh, just just something to be vigilant of. I just think it would have been a tough story to to sell with the DNR. Sure, yeah, <laughs> it, it would have been. Well, you know, in your area, Otter Tail Lakes area, you, you've had a busy year. You had the governor's fishing opener, and of course, Otter Tail Lake itself is going to have the National Walleye Tour Championship there in the fall. So you guys have been in the spotlight this year. Boy, it really has, and uh, it seems like tourists. Tourism up here is booming. Everybody's uh, wanting to be up here and wanting to come up here, and uh, and uh, it's a great area in Minnesota to explore. I think for 
I think for a long time, this area of Minnesota wasn't uh, really on the radar, and there's 1,042 lakes in Ottertail County alone. So just this one county, that's it's actually more lakes than any other country in the nation. I know it, it is. It is really uh, incredible when you think about it. And yet, you're right. I mean, we you know we know Bemidji's got fish. That's kind of known. The Brainerd Lakes area, you know, has fish and vermilion and blacks and Lake of the Woods, all that stuff. You're sitting down there with uh, what is it, a thousand forty-two or something? A thousand forty-two, and that's that's why a lot of times we'll switch gears too, because there's so many different lakes that are good for different things. You know, like I'm not fishing big bluegills at the same lakes we're catching nice bass on typically. And, you know, the lakes that have the best crappie bite aren't always the best walleye lakes, but you can everything you can kind of bounce around. So if you're to plan a vacation up here, you can bounce around and you know spend a half a day crappie fishing in the morning, and then change gears and go chase some walleyes in the evening. Take your kids swimming in the afternoon, and you know there's a bunch of things you can explore and do. I think one of the things that, you know, you find, you either have a really big, definable lake that people know about, Winnie, Leech, Cass, it's Bemidji, Lake of the Woods, etc., or you've got a, uh, a pretty uh, busy town on a lake, and that makes th- those areas pretty well known. You've got all these lakes. Uh, you don't have, you know, Ottertail Lake's pretty big, but it's not generally considered one of those huge lakes, and you don't uh, really have that big town on a lake, so you're kind of just sitting there waiting to be discovered <laughs> you're absolutely right and there are some bigger ones but you're right nothing like giant you know the big ones would be obviously otter tail and dead lake but um you know there's a lot of you know nice sized ones where the, the fishing can be pretty in- incredible uh as well and they, they don't get a ton of pressure you know lita is a great example lita has big everything you know, and that's a fantastic lake to come to explore yeah, I think definitely, though, in this modern day with uh, instant communication and social media and, you know, anglers can talk to other anglers, um, you know, the, the secret's not going to be safe for much longer. <laughs> well, that's good. It's good for business to have, uh, for everybody, you know, all the businesses up here that were affected by, you know, things that happened in the last year. It's good to see places getting busy again and having people come up and visit. So that's uh, that's good. We all, I think we all appreciate that. So that's well, if we're going out fishing this weekend, uh, what should we just go ahead and talk uh, panfish? What should we be going for? Where should we be looking for them right now? Boy, I would, uh, you know, look in that uh, 9 to 13 foot range on those deep weeds. I'd, I'd uh, you know, find the, the deep cabbage and coontail specifically is what those fish really like. And, uh, you know, their bodies, bluegills are kind of designed to hunt in cabbage and coontail. And, and uh, I'd, I'd get on those deep weed edges and and uh, vertical jig you know one way to find them use your electronics and if you're not real strong with your electronics you can you control a half a night crawler on a, a northland spinner with a worm weight on those weed edges and kind of see what you find you'll probably pick up some bass some walleye some pike some bluegills some crappie you could you know kind of use that as a search method too as you're going around the crappies, I'd, I'd try to find the deepest cabbage you can find. Uh, the deepest cabbage in the lake is where all the crappies are kind of hiding out, and uh, if you can kind of cast or troll on top of that. And if you have a lake, like we've got a few up here where there's miles and miles of that deep cabbage, then uh, throw it out behind the boat at a mile an hour and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of adjust how much line you have out. If you're hitting weeds all the time, either go a little bit faster. You don't want to get over about a mile an hour but or reel some lineups. You don't. You don't have quite so much line back and get that dialed in so you're just right over the top and you'll do really good with those. You can fish for everything and do good right now. Uh, I even have friends that are out fishing sturgeon, believe it or not, in this area and they're catching some big fish. I was just blown away. So really? I time to try to go and do that. Yeah. 
Wow. I'd be in big trouble if I told you where, but, you know, you could <laughs> do a little research and get pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, wash your hands yeah, of it. That's uh, a good idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they hear this interview, they're going to say, like, why would have you said that? But, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, it, it's a catch and release thing, but how fun is that to go pull out a big surgeon? That's something that I, I've only done on the Rainy River. I've never done that uh, here, and so I, I need to make time to go try to make that work. Oh, yeah. If it's a quick trip, absolutely. Um, most of our anglers are pretty uh, pretty intent on trying to save the resource. They're all about catch and release, and and it's not just catch and release, though, Garrett. It's it's uh, catching and releasing the right one. So when we're out catching bluegills and crappies, you know, which ones should we be keeping, and which ones need to get back into the water? You know, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. That's you know, being on the DNR Panfish Council and being kind of a panfish advocate, I love to talk about that more than anything. Um, you know, on my boat, there's kind of a nine-inch self-imposed slot limit, and so we don't we don't ever kill bluegills that are over nine inches. And if I have an angler, you know, I had a guy that came up from Illinois, and he caught a really he caught like one that was almost eleven inches. And he really wanted to put this fish on his wall, and he came a long ways. But um, with the replicas that are available out there nowadays, we just took really good measurements, a whole bunch of photographs, and uh, with the replicas that are available out there now, there's there's really no reason to take a big fish out of the, the gene pool like that. You know, especially a big male like the one that he caught, they're just so important to the population as a whole because they pass on their genetics. And so um, being on the Panfish Council and talking to a lot of really smart biologists, uh, you can actually do irreversible damage by taking out too many big males and, and taking out the great genetics that make some of these lakes truly special world-class lakes for, for panfish. So that's kind of the deal on my boat is I, anything over nine inches, we let those fish go. And, you know, if we have between... Eight and a half and nine inches. We have, uh, you know, for three guys, fifteen of those. That's a huge meal of fish. I mean, most of the time, people aren't even able to eat that in one setting. They're bagging some of those. And then now uh, with crappies, you know, we try to keep crappies that are in that eleven, twelve inch range and let those thirteen, fourteen, fifteen inch fish go. I talk about fifteen inch fish like we catch those all the time. Those fifteen inch ones are pretty special. We do get them in the boat once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that would be uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. So if people want to discover Otter Tail Lakes and catch some big panfish, how do they get that done with you and Slab Seeker Guide Service? Yeah, I'd uh, love for you to give me a call. I have some openings for uh, July still. Um, you could give me a call on my cell phone. My number is 320-428-5174. Or you can look at my website. It's slabseekerfishing.com. We also have a Facebook page. It's uh, Facebook uh, Slab Seeker Fishing. Just search for your uh, slab like a big crappie. All right, Garrett Spear from Slab Seeker Guide Service, talking otter tail uh, lakes fishing, and well, we we covered all the fish today. The only thing we didn't talk about was muskie, which I'm guessing you haven't gone for yet. You know, I am not a muskie guy. I uh, I've caught two in my life, <laughs> both trolling on Malax for walleyes, um, and that's that's all I've ever caught. I've never uh, I've I've tried, but I've never caught a, a muskie when I've intentionally been trying to catch one. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I'm up here, but it's it's not my cup of tea. I don't I don't have the rods and the baits, and I just yeah, I just don't. I, I went with a guide a couple times, and I got skunked doing that. And so that's kind of when I gave up my musky fishing. You know, I'm like just a bad luck person to have on the boat for muskies most of the time. <laughs> All right, so we we've covered everything but muskies. That that is a special breed of cat that goes after muskies. That's for sure. Uh, Garrett Sphere, thank yeah, you for yeah. your time today. We really appreciate having you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Appreciate it. Good luck fishing this weekend.
That's it for today. Always a reminder to subscribe to the podcast so you can listen to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country and Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors whenever it's convenient for you. And oftentimes you'll get some bonus content as well. Plus, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll find out who earned lifetime Minnesota fishing licenses from Take a Kid Fishing. Plus, it's Lake of the Weekday. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Now we're going fishing. Bye-bye. <laughs>